All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City. This is the 22nd day of January, 2019. And as always, I'd like to remind you, I am the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And uh, that's a weekly and a monthly newsletter. Uh, you can subscribe to it by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call us here in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. I would also encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. Go to chenpix.com, chenpix.com. Uh, Chen is especially astute in the biotech sector. Uh, he was on last week and talked to us about a couple of his favorites. Uh, and I also like to always remind you of Oliver MSA. Michael Oliver's wonderful newsletter. We'll be talking to Michael in just a second. Uh, OliverMSA.com. Keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises, whatever comments you have, send them on to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show possible. Our sponsors for this week are in resources, Novo Resources, Triumph Gold, Gold Mining Inc., Uranium Energy, and Klondike Gold Corp. I've titled today's show, How Could Anyone Possibly Like Donald Trump? Jayant Bandare visits for the first time. Michael Oliver will be with me, as I mentioned, just in a second or two from now. And the surprise guest that I talked about last week will be Daniel McAdams, the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Americans have taken advantage of the fruits of free market capitalism, but out of the design of our government-sponsored educational system, our schools have kept Americans extremely ignorant of the virtues of the capitalist system, which explains in large part, I believe, why the political left in America is gaining so much power and is now threatening America with the overthrow of our government and the imposition of a dictatorship of the left. Jason Bandare. Uh, who is a native of India and travels the world over looking for profitable investments and is very much involved in the resource sector, recently wrote in a blog, in which uh, one of his blogs in which he said, and I quote, As time has passed, I have grown increasingly respectful of what Donald Trump is doing, end of quote. And he also said, and I quote, I hope that uh, America keeps Trump for another six years, end of quote. We will ask Jason Jayant to uh, to explain why he has such a favorable view of Trump when perhaps uh, President Trump is the most hated president since Richard Nixon, maybe more so. I mean, I remember the days of Richard Nixon, and I must say there wasn't nearly this much vitriol against Nixon. 
And I also want to ask him about some of his views on investing in a world in which uh, asset distortions abound thanks to seemingly endless amounts of money printed, created out of thin air by central banks around the world. When Daniel McAdams comes on the show after our first commercial break, I want to uh, I want to get his views on President Trump from his area of expertise, namely foreign policy, and um, and Trump's desire to engage in peaceful trade rather than uh, endless wars. Uh, what are Daniel's thoughts about Trump's desire to pull out of Syria, and why are uh, why is the deep state so dead set against it? Is America's global empire threatened if we retreat from Syria, Afghanistan, Ukraine, and other other places? Those are questions for Daniel, but right now I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me. He, too, has some very insightful views on geopolitics, I'm quite sure, but unless he cares to comment on those views, we will look for his usual guidance on key markets. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Very good to be back. Very good to be back. Uh, any a quick note about Donald Trump? Thumbs up or thumbs down, or are you? It's a to- thumb sideways. Uh, some of his uh, thoughts are uh, somewhat along the uh, conservative line of global intervention, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, much of his domestic stuff is uh, more leave it alone, which is good. Yeah. So he's sort of a mixed bag, uh, yeah. but he's definitely enough of an upset to upset the orthodoxy. Boy, the orthodoxy is he ever? Being what is called the deep state, or both the Republican and Democrat Party. Uh, there's a similar phenomenon in France right now. In fact, the Mises Institute, uh, Bon Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama, they have a daily uh, letter they put out with various articles. There's an article today by a libertarian in France who went into the streets w- with the yellow vests yes. and uh, who initially started as a tax revolt against huge gas taxes, fuel taxes. Yep. Uh, and it's spread, and it's, it's a multi ideological movement now. In fact, it's so diverse, it's... it's Basically, anything that's anti the administration, anti the orthodoxy of Europe, from yep. the right to the left, including uh, libertarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very interesting article. The movement has a lot of potency, and I think they're not going to stop. And I don't think Macron's going to survive it. And he, of course, is exemplary of orthodoxy, or the deep yep. state of Europe, you could call it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so things are changing over there, too. And it, it's popping up in different forms. Brexit was one form of it. Uh, the Yellow Jackets were another. There's instances throughout the world where this is going. Mm-hmm. Brazil just had an example of it where uh, decades of state socialism were uh, largely upended uh, mm-hmm. by a guy who didn't even have a political party. Uh, so this is popping up around the world in different forms that aren't really linked to each other. It's sort of a rebellion, I think it's emotional, right. psychological, and economic rebellion against the orthodoxy of statism. So it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting and positive, I think. And yeah, I think it's, and it's indicative that this crisis we're about to have in the markets will have a political ramification. Well, that I have no doubt about that. Let's... In, in, in the 2000 bear market, 2002, the 2008 bear market, there were no political upsets. Mm-hmm. You know, both sides worked together to in, reinflate the, the situation. Uh, this time we have a political fracturing around the world, which is very interesting. And I think it's indicative of the depth of this crisis it's about to hit. Oh, I don't doubt it. Uh, interesting times for sure, although be careful what you wish for, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, Michael, let's get to the, some of the markets. Now, one of the really interesting things you put out was this uh, was a 20-year chart showing the relative performance of gold compared to the S&P 
500. Talk about that, if you would, uh, to our yeah, listeners. Uh, it's on your site, I believe, Jay. And uh, Yes, your, we did your, post your it there. Listeners can go to it later or look at it now. Yeah, uh, yes. The chart shows the spread relationship between the S&P 500 going back to 1999, you know, when the, the big bull was in blow-off mode in 99 and reached a peak in 2000. And where S&P was in percentage relationship to the price of gold, and it was five times the price of gold. Actually, it got up to about 5.4 times. Mm-hmm. So uh, that chart shows it is 500%. So that was a peak in S&P performance versus gold. Uh, from that point onward, while you, you dropped all the way down to about 60%, so in other words, the S&P being five times the price of gold due to a combination of its uh, downward bias or flat bias in the S&P between 2000 and 2007 and eight. Uh, it you know, actually went up and down during that time. Gold was plodding upward, and so the spread collapsed all the way down from uh, six, 500 level to a 60 level. It's a huge collapse in performance. Mm-hmm. So now at that point, though, this would be in the, the years of 2009 to 2011, that spread bottomed at, at under 100%, meaning under the level where there are par prices. Uh, and it, S&P has gained, okay? So it's gained from, uh, let's say, 2011 through uh, September last year when the S&P peaked. Uh, but the gain was only about 32% or so of the entire collapse that had occurred since yeah. 1990. So in other words, had you bought S&P in 2000 and held it to now and been short gold against it, you were, your clock was cleaned. Okay? Yep. Gold vastly outperformed it, even despite the last seven to eight years rally in S&P performance. Mm-hmm. Now, if you surgically look at that spread chart, and there's a momentum chart that accompanies it. And go back to about 2002 in the fall. That's when the S&P made a low. Remember, that bear market went from, you know, 1500s, went down to 700 area. Mm-hmm. If you then entered the spread then at an optimal place, in other words, a major bear low in the S&P. So you entered there, bought the S&P and sold gold. You never broke even. It continued down through 2011. And even with the multi-year rally we've had, that spread is still not back to the levels of the bear market low in the S&P in late summer, fall of 2002. So wow. almost anywhere you want to intersect that chart, gold is in position to outperform. Also, our analysis of the momentum of the spread, which is on the, the chart on your site, mm-hmm. the chart below the spread chart, it's right. set up a structure such that you can't back off much. The spread will change. It will mm-hmm. indicate the S&P's recovery is over. It's now resuming. Mm-hmm. Gold is resuming an outperformance trend. Yeah, it looks very close. It looks like we're uh, almost very, kissing very that, that area. Like a couple, couple bad weeks for the S&P or good weeks for gold, and it would totally break that recent eight-year uptrend. Right, and um, I might just mention it's jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, and you can uh, see Michael's article that he wrote. Uh, it is posted on our site. Thanks for giving us permission to do that, Michael. Um, Speaking of uh, bad days for the or, or bad time for the S and P or good time for gold, let's talk about the gold market today. is up a bit, I think. It's 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 reasonably strong, and uh, we're seeing a lot of weakness on the S and P five hundred. As I look at it mm-hmm. right now, we're looking at uh, let's see, it's uh, twenty six nineteen. Um, yep. Are we getting any any sort of crucial yeah, levels the, from your uh, momentum S&P work on the S and P? Near term basis, back to the downside. There's no question about it. Question is whether it will be enough to sustain a drive back toward, let's say, 2400, which is an area they better not ever see again. Uh, in fact, our, our last trigger numbers on annual momentum for the S and P rise about 20 points a month. But basically, 
it, it's the kind of number that's coming up at you. So the, S&P, the guys who think this is a great buy better keep it up here. They yeah. better not go back and get anywhere near testing the December lows. Even 4 or 5% above that is not acceptable, and I suspect they will. Um, there are two alternatives to stocks, and we all know what they are. If money mm-hmm. is uncertain in stocks, it goes to what? T-bonds. Okay, we got a right. huge bond rally during the S&P collapse in December, but the bonds have given back half of their gains huh. when the S&P rallied from the December lows, which is wow. logical. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Flight into safety, flight back out into stocks. Gold did not give up its gains. That's interesting. The drop that we just saw the last few days is all of 1.1% off the high close of the move. Mm-hmm. So rather than dropping up, let's say, 10% back down, like the S&P soared up off of its low, gold did not flinch. Mm-hmm. And we suspect the daily action of gold is about through on the downside, and it's ready to resume upside. Mm-hmm. Well, I used some of your work, Michael, to uh, to give my talk in Vancouver the weekend, and the question that I raised uh, is, what will be the dominant safe havens for 2019? And I'm suggesting possibly a tattered and torn dollar may send some of those safe haven seekers over to gold and not just to the treasuries. Your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yes, I agree. I think the treasuries are a flare type of counter trend to the S&P, meaning the major trend of T-bonds is down, meaning yields up. Okay, And this rally we just had in bonds is a flare type rally that was justified. We saw it coming. Uh, 140, we got bullish, and T-bonds ran up to almost 149, right now they're 145. Uh, so that made sense, uh, that the T-bonds would absorb some of that f- fleeing money. But the actual better behavior during that period is the other alternative, which is gold, as I explained. You know, a lot of people are mm-hmm. nervous about it, but it backed off all of a percent or so from its high close of, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's pretty pathetic in terms of how, how deep of a correction are we going to get, which a lot of people are looking for. We're not. No. Uh, I'm still looking for uh, new highs for the last five years' highs come out uh, mm-hmm. sometime between now and mid-February. Interesting. One of the, All right. If we pop up My- through 1,300 again, I suspect it's on. All right, Michael, just 30 seconds. If you could give us a quick comment on GDXJ, the junior miners. They're looking pretty good from what I can tell from the chart you sent out. They're a positive trend, and so are the GDX, the, the bigger miner, ETF. They're a positive trend. The recent pullback does not negate that on our long-term momentum charts. But I did caution in the weekend report that the better thing to look at if you own miners is not the miners themselves but gold. Until the public gets excited about gold, in a big uh-huh. way, and that's that'll happen when you go through thirteen sixty on gold. They'll you'll it'll light up the financial pages. Uh, uh-huh. At that point, money will pour into the miners, and we argue the miners will just they're a wild dog on a leash. When uh-huh. gold pulls back, they go down hard. When gold goes up, they go up hard. Uh, so it's like a like a wild dog on a leash. It goes front and back. <laughs> and so measuring the technicals of the gold miners. Uh, do it. We do it. But uh, the better thing to look at for, at this point in time is gold itself. Because it's the mama. It's holding the leash. And if gold doesn't flinch, but they do, ignore their flinch. Gold's in charge. All right. Gold goes we'll up again, we think they're going to race. All right, Michael. Thank you very much for that time, uh, for, for your time and for sharing your thoughts with us. Always great to have you with us. Uh, folks, Thanks, Jay. we are going to go to a commercial break now, but don't go away because Dan McAdams, the executive chairman of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, will be with me and uh, have some interesting comments on Trump's foreign policy, I'm sure. Don't go away. We'll be right back. No. 
Global Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really to have with me today my surprise guest that I mentioned I would have a surprise guest last week, Daniel McAdams, the executive chairman of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. We used to have Daniel on quite often, but as uh, as I had to sort of focus on, with only a one-hour show, I had to sort of focus on more directly on the mining sector and on economics haven't had him on nearly as often as I'd like because I think in terms of keeping track of what's going on in the world, what's really going on as opposed to the propaganda you hear from the mainstream media, Daniel McAdams and the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity can provide insights that you otherwise would not have. Daniel uh, is executive, as I mentioned, he's the executive director of Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and he served as foreign affairs advisor to Congressman Paul uh, during uh, from 2001 until his retirement in 2012. In the 1990s, Daniel worked as a journalist based in Budapest, Hungary, including an editorial page editor. He was uh, editorial page editor of the Budapest Sun. Daniel also served as a special uh, rapporteur for the British Helsinki Human Rights Group uh, while based in Europe, monitoring human rights and elections on the ground in various countries. Uh, contentious states, uh, including Albania during the 1996-1998 civil unrest, Montenegro, Georgia, Armenia, Belarus, Croatia, and Slovakia. He was a, a Phillips Foundation journal, uh, journalism fellow from 1998 to 2000 and an American-Swiss Foundation young leader in 2006. He uh, has a bachelor's degree in English from uh, University of California at Berkeley and completed coursework for a master's in international relations, I consider Daniel a good friend, and he is, um, and and he used, as I said, used to be more, much more frequent guest on this show. But uh, given the logistics and time parameters, he's not been on with us nearly as often as I like. But today, I'm really glad that he's with us. Thanks, Daniel, for joining us today. Hey, Jay, thanks for having me back. It's great to be with you again. Oh, it's just it's just great to have you. Uh, let me ask you. Um, I know that. You and Ron are not big Donald Trump fans. That's I think that goes pretty much without saying for some some pretty good reasons actually. But are there any areas during the first two years of Trump's presidency that are worthy of compliment, if not praise, from from you and Ron? Well, the the one thing about President Trump is you know 
he's such a polarizing figure, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But unfortunately, yeah. he polarizes people to the extent, Jay, that they don't stop and think about the policies. Yeah. You know, it's uh, his detractors on the left. They hate him because he has orange hair and he's a racist and this and that. <laughs> you know, they never talk about what he does. And of course, a lot of Republicans feel the same way because he's uh, he's not from the swamp. But he may not have done a great job draining the swamp so far. But he's not from the swamp, and he challenges a lot of the things that they hold sacred. Uh, you know, so it's um, he's a polarizing figure. But people don't stop to think about uh, the policies. Yeah, well, that is that he is, uh, and it's so much emotion and so little willingness to listen to anybody else's views and it's just uh, it's I've never seen it anything as crazy as this in my in my long lifetime here uh, as an observer and a voter uh, one of the appealing yep. views of Donald Trump for me and, and and frankly one of the reasons that I personally I voted for him was uh, a less aggressive military presence around the world and his views that NATO was no longer needed that, those were ideas that were very appealing to me and I thought not a lot different from what your boss uh, Ron Paul would have would have said when he was on the campaign trail. To what extent do you think he is trying to make good on those general themes? Uh, and, and to what extent do you think the military-industrial complex has, actually is, is, is throttling him and keeping him from doing so? Yeah, Jay, I mean, he was great on the trail on so many things. Not just that, but he's the, the first person on the national stage, aside from, from Dr. Paul, to say, hey, the Iraq war was a total mistake. It was right. a botched thing. The neocons were behind it. They're a bunch of liars. You know, it was just a terrific thing. You know, he even, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 I mean, just criticized it to their face. And, and that was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was terrific on the campaign trail. Hey, what's wrong with getting along with Russia? You know, you can't right. even say that nowadays for fear of being put in Guantanamo. But, uh, but you know, because of the way things have gone. But uh, what is wrong with getting along with countries? That's the whole That's the whole should have been the peace dividend of the of the end of the Cold War, Jay. Right, we, right. We don't have to spend all this money. So, um, so you're asking to what extent as president has he followed through? Not as much as we would have liked. Um, there are some promising signs, uh, some things I think that we could give credit for, but some things that we have to criticize. And one of the things that I find most surprising, because he is full of self-confidence, uh, you know, he's a, a big developer, a big uh, real estate guy, you know, a lot of confidence. Uh, but when it comes down to it, he doesn't seem to have a lot of authority. He doesn't seem to follow through. He seems to be almost a little bit timid, Jay, when he does things uh, in, mm-hmm. in practice. And yeah, and I wonder, we wonder about this. Why is he this way? And, and we have to just think that maybe, you know, the world of business and the world of politics is very different. Uh, and it's the issue of of power and authority. Uh, he has the authority uh, to change things in Washington. He has the authority to change to drain the swamp, but he doesn't have the power. And I think if he were joining us on the line and being honest, he might admit that that this is the thing that surprised him: having the authority but not the power. He doesn't have the political power, for example, on the on the issue of building the wall. And I don't know where you and Ron stand on that, but the the whole idea of the Declaring an emergency with Mexicans or with with various foreigners coming in over the walls, uh, protecting the sovereignty of the country, people admit that he has the legal uh, the legal authority to do so, but he probably doesn't have the political power to do so. Is that what you're the kind of thing you're talking about? 
That kind of thing, yeah, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Dr. Paul has, has always been against walls, but he doesn't dispute uh, the necessity of protecting the border. Uh, you know, he thinks there's a better way, but certainly, you're exactly, that's exactly right. Um, re- remember, it, it was last spring, it was spring of 18, that President Trump, you know, got, gathered his people together and said, hey, I want to get out of Syria. I want to get out of Afghanistan. I want to get us out of there. And they said, what are you talking about? We can't do that. You know, forget it. Let's um, mm-hmm. give us a little time. Let's don't be hasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when, the, you know, the, of course, they tricked him into um, the bombing of Syria, you know, this phony gas attack uh, that never happened. Uh, certainly w- was not done by the government of Syria. Uh, they did as much as they could. They had all kinds of tricks in their playbook to, to, to delay it. And then finally he was frustrated in, in uh, December and said, look, we are getting out. <clears throat> and he said it publicly instead of just to his aides. And uh, then you had the people that worked for him, Jay. You had mm-hmm. John Bolton and Pompeo go over to the Middle East and say, oh, don't worry, we're not getting out. And, yeah. you know, the guy's crazy. The guy's, I mean, can you imagine doing that to, to, a, to a boss, to your, the person I, uh, you no. answer to? It's, it's shocking. It's shocking. Uh, so, yeah, no power. I'm sure people didn't get away with that with Trump when he was uh, you know, in, his, in his real estate business. Um, exactly. He wouldn't have been now, successful, you know, as he was. Now, um, speaking of Russia, the, the whole notion of Russia being such a threat to us, and, and what seems ironic to me, Daniel, is that uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, approved the sale of uranium uh, to Val- Vladimir Putin's Russia. The United States has to import, oh, I don't know, something like 98% of its uranium now, something like that. Anyway, so... We 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 use we need 55 million pounds a year to for our uh, for, for our power plants. We get 20 percent of our electricity from nuclear power. We need uh, uranium for nuclear powered submarines, and we have to import most of it. Uh, and and um, you know the Clinton Foundation reaped a windfall, something like 142 million dollars. It needed Clint, Hillary Clinton's signature on it, uh, and yet uh, you know it would seem as if that act alone would suggest collusion with Russia much more than anything that we've ever heard about Trump. And yet, um, what, what's your take on this? I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're looking at this thing objectively, it seems to me. It's amazing. And I don't think anyone would be shocked by, by hearing that, you know, that, that the Clintons have got to be among the most corrupt people in history. You know? And I don't think it was even ideological with her. I think it was just about the money. Money. Because look, look at her. Yeah, look at her tough talk about uh, terrorism and this and that. But then uh, here you have the Clinton Foundation happily receiving money from all of these Gulf states that were at the same time bankrolling al-Qaeda in Syria. You know, so it's, it's, it's definitely, it's about, you're right, money and power and prestige, certainly not about um, philosophy or, or, or ideology, uh, just pure corruption. Yeah, and then when she lost the election, of course, uh, most of this foreign money went away. There were no more. Uh, there were no more cash flows into the Clinton Foundation from foreign governments after, after she lost the election. So I mean, none of that seems to be raised in the mainstream media. But uh, boy, we're, just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, let's. Uh, I would, we're going to have this. Uh, my next guest is a fellow from India, uh, Jayant Bandari, um, and his views with regard to pulling out of these various countries. Uh, well, we're going to hear what he has to say, but it's, it's my understanding that. That he, um, you know, sort of, sort of doesn't want to see us pull out too fast. Now, this is Jay, and I know as a, a libertarian, he believes in 
he has he thinks the Moira's power should be limited and it's much more uh, extensive than it than it should be. But do you do you have any concerns? Does Dr. Paul have any concerns? Let's say tomorrow we did what Ron Paul wanted to do when he was running for president. Let's just uh, let's just let's just go home. Let's send everybody home. Uh, would there not be a vacuum around the world? Would there not be some other bad actors moving into some of these countries? Well, unfortunately, and would we that are matter the bad that actor. Much? What's that? Well, we are the bad actor. I mean, unfortunately, we are the bad actor. You know, yeah. the United States is illegally occupying Syrian territory. You know, we have absolutely no legal authority to be in Syria. And in fact, our presence in Syria, our presence in Iraq, uh, our presence in these countries, as is admitted even by the government, even by government officials, our very presence there motivates people to become jihadists, motivates them to radicalize. And, you know, Robert Pape, the professor at the University of Chicago, had a, a famous book, Dying to Win, where he did a painstaking analysis of suicide terrorism, and it's motivated in the vast majority of cases, vast, vast majority of cases, by the feeling like you're occupied by a foreign power. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we are creating terrorism. We are creating terrorists by having the U.S. military involved in these countries, by having the CIA meddling in their politics, overthrowing their governments. I I would agree, if, if you characterize your next guest views accurately, I would agree with him. We should definitely be engaged in these countries but not with troops and weapons and guns. And mm-hmm. we should stop sanctioning countries and send over businessmen and students and tourists. You know, we should be at least as engaged as we are now, but in a different way, in a, in, in a libertarian, in a pro-peace, in a pro-prosperity way. Well, I guess endless wars are good for somebody. Uh, your, your Washington establishment is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The parasites are draining the middle class in America, very dramatically, it would seem. So I guess there's probably um, there's probably a good reason and an explanation as to why we have endless wars, right? Just follow the money. That's all you have to do. The think tanks that are that are promoting war, look at who their donors are. They are, are by and large, eighty percent, I would say, are either U.S. government entities or the military-industrial complex. Lockheed Martin, the other companies that make a fortune off of war, they spend, you know, they probably spend a buck on a think tank, and, and they get a, a million bucks back in a, in, in, in a bomb. So it's mm-hmm. a good investment from, the, from their perspective, but it's bad for America, and it's not making us safer. It's, it's bad for humanity. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly not consistent with what our founders had in mind, that's for sure. Uh, Daniel, just with, the, with about a minute left here, Syria, are we going to get out of there? Is, it gonna, is Trump going to have his way, or will the... Or will there be another bomb or something going off here that, that uh, keeps it from happening? Well, we will get out of Syria. That, that train has left the station. Uh, what, however, you, however you want to slice it, we will be out of there. The U.S. is only causing more problems. Uh, and there's, nothing, there's, there's no mission left for the U.S. in Syria, uh, whether, even whether Trump likes it or not. Uh, the U.S. military will be out of Syria soon. Well, we'll have to see how that plays out. It's... Uh, very interesting times, Daniel, and I should tell our listeners, it's uh, ronpaulinstitute.org, ronpaulinstitute.org. Daniel, you almost every day with Dr. Paul there, aren't you, on a, on a video and a discussion, uh, some topic of the day that you, can, that you talk about there? Yes, the Ron Paul Liberty Report is live streamed on YouTube, our channel, Ron Paul Liberty Report, every day at noon Eastern Time, every weekday at noon Eastern Time. Well, I really uh, would suggest our listeners 
go there and learn about what's really happening globally in the in, uh, in the um, uh, in the geopolitical realm because it's uh, it's not what you're hearing on the mainstream media, I dare say. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, yeah, we need to do it more often. No question about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we have to go to break now, but don't go away because Jay and Bandari will be with us to explain how he in the world, how could anybody possibly, and how does he, how can he justify liking Donald Trump? We'll be right back with Jay and Bandari. Triumph Gold holds a 100% interest in the district-scale Free Gold Mountain Gold Copper Project in Yukon with a government-maintained road accessing their 200-square-kilometer property. The 2018 drill program has resulted in exciting discoveries to date, hitting the richest intersection ever in a porphyry system in Yukon. The company is well-funded and has a large institutional holding, including Gold Corp and Zijin Mining. Triumph trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol TIG and the OTC markets TIGCF. The website is triumphgoldcorp.com. Gold Mining Inc., ticker symbol GOLD on the TSX and GLDLF on the OTC is the biggest bet for gold investors and legendary investors like Doug Casey, Rick Rule, and Marin Katusa, who put millions of dollars into backing the company, along with institutional investors. The insiders own over 20%. Gold mining has strong cash and no debt. It's one of the top 1% of gold companies that has over 20 million ounces of gold resources. Visit goldmining.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Jayant Bandari. Uh, Jayant travels the world looking for investment opportunities, particularly in the natural resource sector. Uh, he uh, advises institutional investors about his fines. He was a director of the, uh, on, the, uh, on the board of directors. Uh, he was a member of the board of directors for Gold Canyon, this company I followed in the past. Uh, until its merger with another entity. Earlier, he worked with U.S. Global Investors. Uh, our friend Frank Holmes uh, heads that institution up. And for one year with uh, Casey Research, before emigrating from India, he started and ran Indian uh, subsidiary operations of two European companies, and uh, he still travels frequently to India. Jayant has written on political, economic, and cultural issues for Liberty Magazine, the Mises Institute, Casey Research, Acting Man, International Man, Mining Journal, Zero Hedge, and other publications. He is a contributing editor of the Liberty Magazine, and uh, he uh, runs a yearly philosophy seminar in Vancouver, which I should try to attend sometime, I suppose. It's Capitalism and Morality. 
He has an MBA as well as an engineering degree. Uh, if you really enjoy interesting, unique views of the world, I would suggest that you visit Jan's blog. It's uh, Jayant, J-A-Y-A-N-T, Bondari, B-H-A-N-D-A-R-I.com. Thanks for joining me today, Jayant. Thanks very much for having me, Jay. It's really good to uh, to have you. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to chat with you when we were in Vancouver. I passed by and, and said I look forward to talking to you, but we just didn't find the time to chat. Um, on your blog, you recently wrote an article titled Trump, Why I Like Him. Now, I'm old enough to remember very well the hatred towards Richard Nixon from the left wing, but I believe the hatred and unfair treatment towards Trump is a thousand times worse. Well, it's a lot worse anyway than uh, was directed towards Nixon. So my tongue and my tongue-in-cheek question to you, Jayant, is how dare you say that you like Donald Trump? Just look at uh, what happened after Obama became the president of the U.S. He was offered the Nobel Prize uh, immediately. Yeah, now, for being president. Right. And now Trump has at least significantly reduced the problem with North Korea, at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. That one issue should have got Trump many more Nobel Prizes, and Trump has done as much as any other president did in his term just because of that one issue. Mm-hmm. In front of Trump, China is learning to behave, Pakistan is learning to behave, Turkey is learning to behave. Even Canadians and Europeans are starting to show respect towards the U.S. Now, the fact is that the U.S. indeed is the best and the greatest country on the planet. And this does not mean that U.S. should be a bully, but it does mean that when U.S. does charity around the world, U.S. should at least not be embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. And Trump is ensuring that people uh, at least show respect towards him and the U.S. for all the work that the U.S. does in the world. You, uh, you've made some statements that the United States should, uh, or, or the, some things that you've written has to do with... Uh, Third, a lot of things about third world countries. You come from India, uh, and immigration is not. It's something that I believe, if I understand you correctly, you're you're quite convinced needs to be controlled. Um, and talk to us a little bit about the problems of uncontrolled immigration and what it does to uh, to a society, to the Western world, anyway. Uh, Jay, multi-ethnic societies really don't work. Uh, Immigration should not only be controlled, they should actually almost completely stop immigration. Uh, If you want to protect your society from turbulence, from civil social problems, look at what is happening in Brazil, look at what, what is happening in Venezuela, look at the worst experiment in multi-ethnic society, which is India. These societies are in complete chaos and you really don't have a solution anymore. Once people have got mixed up on a multi-ethnic basis, you can't really undo the damage. You don't really want too many poor people in the Western world. In fact, you don't even want too many smart people in the Western world because when too many smart people come to the Western world, this means that the leadership structures of those third world countries get destroyed. Mm -hmm. For example, in India, 
the government has become increasingly brain dead because the best Indians have left India for the U.S. and other Western countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, the, the brain drain from the third world countries and then those countries suffer as a result of it. Uh, in your article uh, about why I like Trump, uh, of course, immigration was one of the issues, and you talk about the intransigence of uh, of immigrants. And uh, if I understand what you're saying here, is that they they tend to be they tend not to assimilate. They tend not to learn the language, to respect the laws, and and the second generation, you say, even becomes worse. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there is uh, data on. Uh, uh, North Africans in Denmark or Holland, which shows Uh that crime actually tends to increase among immigrants in the second and the third generation. Now, here is the problem. When these poor people come and become ghettoized, what happens is that not only they, in the second generation, they don't have gratitude towards the host country. In the second generation, they sort of have a romantic notions about the countries that their parents left behind, emigrated emigrated from. As a result, these people are, are not rooted in either the country they live in or the countries that their parents left behind. Mm-hmm. And they are, have this confused mentality. And that is what you see with migrants in Europe, they have not become European and they are they might be actually more fanatic than people in Pakistan or in the Middle East or in North Africa might be. Mm-hmm. Because they, they feel alienated in a, in a culture that they're not a, that they're not really suited for or not trained for. That is one thing. And also another thing is that their culture requires a kind of heavy and handed police state. Now, in the Western world, you don't really have a heavy-handed police state. Uh-huh. So if you don't have a heavy-handed police state to keep these people within control, they actually become very wild and chaotic. And as a result, some of the biggest emerging crime happening in Europe and actually even in Canada is because of second and third generation migrants. And... Um Yes, I mean, we're seeing, you know, all manners of, of issues. Um, why do you think, uh, turning to the United States, why do you think we are seeing such a resistance? I mean, aside from the hatred for Trump, such a resistance from the left uh, to try to stop immigration. This is so ironical, Jay. Uh, the reality is that the biggest beneficiary of Trump getting becoming the president has been Hispanics and African American. The the underclass has been the biggest beneficiary. Mm-hmm. Unemployment has fallen hugely as a result of what Trump has done. Now maybe there's not a direct cause, causal relationship, but that actually has happened. Uh, the problem is that the left should never have been given the power to vote. The reason I don't like democracy, because the left believes in the nanny state. The left does not want to be leaders. They want free stuff. People expecting free stuff should never, ever have the power to vote. And left will always oppose anything that tries to improve the society in the long term, but Mm -hmm. must suffer in the short term because the left is short-terministic. It has a very high time preference. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I'm not quite sure if I know you would consider yourself a libertarian. Uh, absolutely. I'm an anarchist. I don't believe in the concept of the government. And that makes it very strange because I have become a fan of Trump. The fact is, uh, Jay, that we can't get rid of the government today or tomorrow. There is yep. a huge process we must go through from point A to point B. We have to navigate across uh, rocks and islands to be able to get to point B. And that means that the government is here. It will stay here for, the, for, the, for now. Um, you know, I, I like the, the idea of, uh, of the absence of government, uh, but what, I mean, this is a philosophical discussion, I don't know if we have time for it today, but what causes you to think that we wouldn't have ongoing chaos uh, if we didn't have government at all? Oh, we will absolutely have chaos, and that's why I, if I had a switch to get rid of the government today, I would not use that switch. Mm-hmm. People have to get enlightened before you can have a society in which you don't need the government, or at least you have enough institutional structures of private kinds to be able to accommodate uh, the changes that will be needed to move from a statist society to a society which will still have very strong law and order control using private mechanism. You still need some kind of institutions, but people have to evolve. People have to become enlightened. And for now, the Western society is becoming less enlightened, not more. And that is really the problem we must we face today. Well, and, and you know, you bring in immigrants from, from cultures that are completely different. Uh, and I know if you say less advanced, you'll probably be... Con- uh, accused of hate speech or something like that, but but I think less advanced societies, certainly societies without the advantages that the West has had. But um, I have to ask you about another issue on uh, Trump, the reasons I like him. Uh, trade was another issue. Now, most economists of almost every stripe and most people who are free market advocates for sure are against, uh, are against tariffs. Uh, are against the sort of trade wars that uh, Trump has entered into. Uh, what virtues do you see of Trump's uh, desire or his or his trade policy? So, Jay, I was in China last week uh, mm-hmm. attending a conference in Shanghai. People in China are starting to show respect and accept the U.S. for what is trying to change. Uh-huh. Uh, now, I want free trade. Uh, mm-hmm. But having said that, as I said, if you want to go from point A to point B, you sometimes have to retrace, you sometimes have to go around the rocks, sometimes around the islands. And I think this is what Trump is trying to achieve. There was a huge amount of trade surplus from China. There was uh, China was forcing American companies to compromise on their technologies and give away the, that technology to Chinese companies. Mm-hmm. Now, what Trump is trying to do is to use the trade war to ch- to get China to accommodate American interests to level the playing field. American presidents before Trump were groveling in front of China and mm-hmm. other many other countries, and that must, that should have stopped, and that has stopped. And China is now is starting to realize that their economy is starting to economic growth is starting to slow down, and they have to come to the negotiating table. And Americans and the Western world should thank Trump for organizing that negotiating table. 
Uh, it would be interesting to ask your thoughts then on China. Uh, you wrote an article or a blog, and, I, and by the way, I should tell our listeners uh, that they should avail themselves to your blog. It's uh, the uh, Jayant Barandi. Let's say the uh, the the website is a Jayant Bandari. It's your name dot com, right? And and you write there frequently, don't you? You write some very interesting things. Uh, how often do you put out a, a piece there? Um, I tend to write uh, some thoughts on politics and give some recommendation on stocks uh, about once in two weeks. Okay. And uh, and an article that you wrote, uh, I'm not sure exactly the date of this, but China, uh, sometime towards the end of last year, I think, China to continue to grow exponentially, you said. Now, in light of the issues you just talked about, the trade issues, do you still see that happening? And And you seem to be very, very bullish on China relative to India, let's say. Well, I am not bullish on India at all. India is imploding. So are rest of the third world countries. The only third world countries that has the possibility to become a developed country is China. China is changing rapidly. I have been going to China for the last 12 years. And every time I go to China, uh, China is a better country. Chinese people are improving culturally. Chinese cities are becoming cleaner and nicer. Chinese pollution is falling rapidly. So China is improving very rapidly. Uh, If you look at economic growth, you look at consumption of commodities, virtually everything has China behind it. And this change has actually been exponential economic growth, consumption of copper, consumption of steel and coal. Whatever you look at it, China has been behind changing the world for the last three de- three decades. Um, so to what, so what to, um, to what the dollar, uh, how do you see, How do you see the dollar? Oh, I know what I want to ask you next. Uh, You talked about problems in the third world uh, leading to to, uh, uh, rising gold prices. Could you comment on that a bit? So uh, a lot of people like uh, people I engage with in the mining industries and commodity industry think that it is the U.S. dollar related problems that will lead to consumption of gold in the future. Uh, My view is that that is not necessarily the case. U.S. is still among the best, very best countries on the planet. It is a big economy and U.S. dollar is seen as gold by people, let's say in Turkey, in the Middle East, in Africa, Mm -hmm. in the Indian subcontinent. Uh, What will increase demand for gold is the fact that countries in the Middle East are imploding. Countries in the Indian continent are imploding. And these are the people when they realize that their savings do not generate a real rate of return, will actually bring back their money from so-called investments to gold again. Gold consumption on per capita basis, if you adjusted that for GDP per capita, has been falling in these countries for the last three decades because people in the third world thought that investing in their own economies generated a return. Now they are realizing that it is not generating a return and these are the people who will then start to buy more and more amount of gold as time passes by. So you see that uh, then having a, an adverse impact on the dollar then as well? A lot of uh, uh, dollar investments being sold, gold being bought. Uh, no, not really, because American economies is still a massive, massive economy. These countries are very small countries in comparison. Uh, it is very funny, Jay, that uh, 
you know, this morning I was reading an article comparing Rwanda with America and how Rwanda r- growth rate in Rwanda was so much better than that of uh, America. Now uh-huh. you only have to spend about three minutes in Rwanda to understand that you have to be partly stupid to compare Rwanda with uh, America. America uh-huh. is a high-tech country. Rwanda is uh, subsistence farmers and cattle herders. You can't really compare these two countries. Uh, you what happens in Rwanda or Ethiopia makes really no influence on the U.S. Um, so, no, American dollar is not dependent on uh, the third world people. I'd like to get some of your thoughts on uh, on the junior mining sector. Uh, first of all, you were up there in Vancouver where I was uh, last weekend. Did you see anything that uh, you found interesting? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there are uh, several companies that I'm invested in and continue to add to my positions. Uh, there are There's a company called FPX Nickel, uh, a company that I have been invested in for a long time. The ticker is FPX in the Venture Exchange. Mm-hmm. There's a company called Amarillo Gold with a very nice project in Brazil. Of course, there's a risk of jurisdiction there, but they, in my view, have a very nice upside um, so there are a few companies that I met, uh, which I can continue to believe will do very well in going forward. And you share some of your thoughts on those companies at your blog, I guess, on your blog. Uh, I released that last evening. So the companies that I mentioned in my speech are also on my website today. Yeah. Okay, good. Excellent. Um, question about uranium. We had uh, Uranium Energy Corporation up there, UEC, uh, Amira Nani was a speaker at the conference. I don't know if you... Listen to that or not, but what are your thoughts about uranium? It seems as though after many, many years, there may be some improvement uh, for uranium miners. There are not too many of them around, of course. Um, I am not optimistic about uranium, uh, Jay, to be very honest. Uh, firstly, there are many reasons why, in my view, that won't happen. Firstly, sun-based and wind-based energy is rapidly falling in cost, uh, which means that once you have developed enough storage capacity and storage technology and technology for transmission, uh, the future likely belongs to sun and wind energy. Uh, Also, uranium mines have to get uranium price at least twice or thrice as much as what it is today yes. before many of these mines start to make a, prof- a profit, which means that I'm better off investing in uranium physical if I'm at all bullish about uranium because I will have made 200% profit before investors in mining would be able to uh, break even. Uh, with just about a minute and a half left or so, you wrote an article, uh, The Top Mistakes Investors Make. Would you care to share uh, share a couple of those ideas with us? Um, yeah. Firstly, I don't like to speculate in commodities. I have hardly met anyone who can actually successfully speculate in commodities. But if, you, if one thinks that one can speculate in commodities, one should stick with speculating commodities by trading in the futures exchange. Do not try to use mining companies as vehicles for speculation mm-hmm. and do not try to look for leverage in mining companies because that is this cocktail is a disastrous cocktail and that has been the reason why so much of malinvestment has taken place in the mining industry. Mm-hmm. People actually, yeah, because there's so many things that can go wrong. Uh, in a mining project, uh, even one that's up and running successfully has has issues. What about some of the uh, s- some other ways to play the mining sector, such as um, uh, well, I see we're out we're out of time. But what about uh, 
What about royalty companies or, or streaming companies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything should be based on value. If you see more value compared to the price that you can buy those companies at, go for it. Royalty companies are a great way to invest in the gold sector, actually, because you don't really have physical in front of you. And they might be able to continue to generate a stream based on more exploration and expansion on the projects that they have royalties on. All right, we'll have to leave it go at that. Thank you so much, Jan, for being with us. It's a pleasure. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Well, folks, that is all the time we have. Next week, I expect to have Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee with me, Amir Adnani of Uranium Energy Corporation as well, and uh, I hope to have Michael Oliver too. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Often referred to as one of the best teams in junior gold exploration, having discovered a 5 million ounce gold mine and sold a second company amidst discovery, the management behind Orin Resources now has a world-class exploration portfolio within Canada and Peru. Projects that give the company one of the largest direct pipelines for major discoveries globally, with one of the deepest technical teams to explore them. Entering into its third year of aggressive pursuit, Orin is expecting results from two of their major projects throughout the rest of this year. For the latest, head to orinresources.com and subscribe.